Man, do I draw a crowd or what? This is awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I have to use this, guys, um, because last time I used the big people podium, and it was just about as tall as me. So, Sheila, I know you understand me. She gets it. Yeah. This is my favorite coffee cup, you guys, because this coffee cup I got as a gift for serving at high school camp, um, not last summer, but the summer before. And it just, man, every time I use it, it stirs my heart. And then just seeing our kids get prayed for and sent out to class upstairs and just reminding us all that it's so important to invest in the next generation. Um, If you ever have a chance to serve at a camp or even just to hop up, for a night or a day, like you should do that. It will change your life, I promise you. All right. Well, good morning, everybody that made it safely here. That I'm assuming all of you have all-wheel drive. We graduated to the world of all-wheel drive this year, and I'm so because we backed up out of the driveway yesterday, and I'm like, this is already farther than we ever made it before in the snow. <laughs> Minivans are not made for snow in the Pacific Northwest, that's for sure. Um, but then good morning to all of you that very wisely and safely are watching from home this morning. Um, welcome. Well, we are still plowing, and yes, that is a snow joke, through the book of Luke. And today we're going to finish up in chapter 19. And speaking of jokes, as many of you know, every time before I preach, I like to tell a joke. And Braden Bergren so very generously even tried to send me some material this week. And it was awesome. I'm going to put that one in my pocket, but I felt like I had to go with some snow jokes today, given our circumstances. So, all right, buckle up. Here's the first one. What do you call a snowman that plays the piano? Melton John. Thank you. I can hear them groaning through the camera at home. I can. Okay, what do you call a snowman without a carrot? Nobody knows. Nobody get it? Says knows. Okay, all right. Uh, what do you call a snowman with a six-pack of muscles, not of the other? Six-pack of muscles. The An abdominal snowman. Okay, all right, last one, I promise. How does a penguin build a house? It glues it together. It glues it together. All right. Yes. Thank you. I know they're terrible, aren't they? Terrible. Yeah, I don't know if those ones are more for you or for me to kind of help loosen things up. But either way, they're good. And now I think we should pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we do just come before you today. And Lord, I do just invite you into every word that comes out of my, my mouth this morning, Lord. Um, Father, that what you have to speak to us this morning will just be embedded and implanted deep within our hearts and our spirits, Lord, and that it won't just stay there, Father, but that what gets planted, Lord, will grow and will be used for you. So we give you this time this morning, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in Luke chapter 19. And uh, last week, for those of you that were here or online, uh, what did Dan talk about? Or rather, uh, who did he talk about? Anybody remember? Zacchaeus, that's right. And if you remember anything about his sermon last week, it better be the word what? Anybody? Wealth. 
jump. It better be the word jump, that we should jump into all that God has for us without hesitation. It was such a powerful word. And if you weren't here or you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I would encourage you very strongly to hop back onto either our Facebook or our website and listen to it. Or listen to it again. It was that good. It's going to fire you up. But So we heard about Zacchaeus and his experience with Jesus, and now we're going to pick up right after that as Jesus is continuing his journey into Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem again? Why is he going? What's, what is he going to do? Anybody? You can, it's just us this morning. You can talk. Like, why is he going to Jerusalem? For Passover and then ultimately the cross. Right. So he's on his way to fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah. And then he's going to be crucified in just a very short period of time. But that's not what the crowd thinks. And before I get too far ahead of myself here, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read verses 11 through 27, and I am reading from the New Living Translation, and it's also going to be up on the screen for you here. So let's go ahead and read together. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then returned. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. But after he was crowned king, he returned and he called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you to, so you will be governor of ten cities as your next reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then, turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. So I mentioned right before we read the scripture that this crowd 
is not thinking that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. They all think and are very excited about that the kingdom of God is coming and that things are about to go down in Jerusalem, right? Like Jesus is going to go in there and he's going to establish his rule. He's going to kick out all the bad guys and condemn the wicked ones. And then he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel and kick out the Romans, making Jerusalem the center of everything. Jesus knows all of this, that this is what everyone is thinking right now. And what he does is he tells them this parable because he wanted them to think differently about what all of this was going to mean. And he even says that. He says, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He tells us in the scripture what the purpose of this parable is for. So he wanted them to think differently. So we need to understand that this parable was first and foremost for the ones to whom he is directly speaking. There is, of course, application for us, and as we read it and understand it today, and we will get to that in just a bit. So he's speaking to the crowd and to his disciples that are with him right there. Remember, they they don't even understand that Jesus is actually going into Jerusalem to be crucified and risen from the dead, even though he's given them so many clues, right? Like, you read the Bible from our perspective, and you're like, why don't you guys get it? But they didn't, right? So, we unpack this parable. We see four main characters. First, we have the king, who is being crowned king, and then he's returning. And then second, we have the two servants, who are good and wise and productive. And then third, we have the servant that was apathetic. And then fourth, we have all of the subjects of the king that hated him and rejected him as his ruler. So the fact is this man was going away to be crowned king, and then he was going to be returning to his subjects, many of whom hated him and actually rejected him as their king. Does that sound familiar? And before he left, he called some of his servants, and he gave them ten minas each and asked them to invest it while he was gone. And then they would have to give an account of their stewardship upon his return. Now, uh, two things that I would like for you to remember about what they were given here is that it was equal. Each of them was given the exact same, and it was a small amount. I looked it up, and 10 minas was not a large sum of money. It wasn't even really like a small sum of money. It says it's about $17. So he gave him 17 bucks each, and he was like, go do something with this. But regardless of their ability or talent or any other factors, they were given the same amount. But out of the same opportunity, we have quite the spectrum of responses, don't we? So um, I love memes, and I think they really help bring some extra spice to situations we experience in life sometimes. So I thought I would illustrate each response with a meme. And maybe if you're visual like me, it will help burn its way into your brain, right? As a side note, I also love gifts. Anybody else? Laura Randall's hand needs to be way in the air right now. Uh, Because if speaking gift were considered a second language, I would be fluently bilingual. I can have entire conversations using only gifts. Most time I end up cracking myself up. I don't even know if the other person thinks they're funny, but I think they're hilarious. Um, I think it would be really entertaining, actually, to try and have an argument using only gifts. 
You too. You should try that sometime. Yeah. I think that would be great. That's in the premarital counseling. Like, try and have an argument just with gifts. Actually, we were around the dining room table the other night, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but we started laughing, and I told my kids, I was like, what if when you guys fight from now on, you have to do it in a British accent? Like, how far do you think that would go? I'm so mad at you, you. This is rubbish. You know, I put some other uh, British words in there, but then I had to look them up because I'm like, I think these are bad words. (laughs) And they were. But you hear, that's all you hear on TV. And so I was like, I better check myself. And um, thank you, Jesus. That's all I would say. Somebody would have been on there and be like, (gasps) anyhow. Uh, I am way off topic. Uh, But if anybody actually wants to try that, please let me know how that goes because I'm really curious. All right. So anyway, responses to the charge. So here we go. The first one. He did amazing, right? Ron Burgundy is very proud right now. He made ten times the original amount, and you can just feel the pleasure of the king radiating off the pages. He says, well done. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you. And then he rewards his work. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. So that's the first response. The second one is pretty close, but not quite as grand. Right? Like, okay, pretty good. Not as good as the first guy, but he still worked well with what he had. And he tried to be a good servant. Again, he received the approval of the king. And with it, a well done and is thusly rewarded, you will be governor over five cities. But then we have the third response. This guy. I can just hear the king being like, dude, you had one job. It wasn't even a hard job. And yet, no go, right? This guy could have cared less about what his master asked of him, or doing anything with what he was given. He literally had one job. But he just held on to it. He hid it, kept it in his possession, until the return of the king. And do you notice he even tries to put it back on the king for why he did what he did? The king is not having any of it, and he tells him, you wicked servant, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man, why didn't you at least put it in the bank, right? He says, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten. So he lost out, big time. Jesus' point here is that he is returning right now as the king, right in that moment when he's giving this parable. He's on his way to Jerusalem as the king. They are recognizing him as the king. The people are full of anticipation of what his kingship will bring. So let's read on in verses 28 through 40. Again, it's going to be up on the screen for you. After telling this story, which is the one that we just talked about, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, 
Why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And as I was reading this passage, I just started laughing. Because I'm like, can you imagine the two disciples that went and they, like, the Lord's like, I'm going to send you to get this colt, and then this is what you're going to say to him. Just, just say what I tell you. And then they're like, why do you need this colt? And I mean, it must have been awkward, right? Like, trying to take this colt. And then they just look at each other and probably like, uh, and he's like, say it. The Lord needs it. And the guy's like, okay, go ahead. It's just in my brain, I'm like, oh, it really worked. (laughs) So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Pay attention here. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. So they're already acknowledging Jesus as their King right now, right then, coming to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And I love this line, you guys. He said, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. Amen. So he is entering Jerusalem where there are palms and people lining the streets, shouting out to him, Hosanna. But the reality is he's going to be killed by his rebellious subjects, not the other way around like in the parable. He's returning to a group of people in which many of them will even say they don't want him to be their king. They reject him as their king. He's going to die on behalf of rebellious Israel, establishing his kingdom, and they're not even going to recognize it. He feels the grief over his people that are once again going to reject him and his kingdom because he knows what is about to transpire in Jerusalem, and that's what he's feeling when we continue on and read verses 41 through 44. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. He's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to his people. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So he enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple, which is what we read next, and he starts turning the sacrificial system upside down and on its head because he is the one that is going to upend it. So let's continue reading. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices, and he said to them, The scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him, 
but they could think of nothing because all of the people hung on every word he said. So saying it's a den of robbers, that's a quote from Jeremiah 7.11. And if you know it, that's a really intense part of Jeremiah where he said, because of Israel's empty religious practices and unfaithfulness to the covenant, in God's judgment, the temple was going to be destroyed. And you see in the scriptures then, it comes from the hands of another nation. At that point in time, it was Babylon. And now in Jesus' day, it's going to come at the hands of the Romans. And as we read those final verses about his final days, Jesus is telling people about the king and his coming kingdom, desperately wanting all to be reconciled. So circling back to the parable now, we know who the king is in the story. And we know who the immediate represented servants were. They were the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And that the people were going to reject this king and didn't even want him. They represent all of Israel that will deny and ultimately call for the crucifixion of Jesus. So what meanness, what amount were the disciples given? They were given Jesus' teachings, and his prayers, his ethics, his heartbeats, the same, right? They were given the same. And to those who had been and would continue to be faithful with that, more was about to be given. These people that had been given a gift so that they can take what the king gave them and take it further, this was now going to become the gift and commissioning of the disciples in Acts. He's going to give them something more to carry forward. He's now going to be entrusting them with his power, and he is telling them to go use that. So for the disciples, Jesus is trying to give them something they're not really going to understand right now in this passage. But hopefully later when they're reflecting on all of the events that are about to transpire, they're going to understand what they've been given. So what about us? What about now? Where do we normally go with this story? What preachers normally preach about regarding this parable is simply this, that one day Jesus is coming back to finish what he started, but until the king comes back, it's the same general idea, in this season of waiting for his return, what are we going to do? with what God has given us. So ask yourself the question, am I being faithful with what he has given me? Am I being a good steward of what he has given me? Am I investing it for his kingdom in the way I treat my coworkers, my family, my kids, the outcasts, the outsiders, even my enemies? Am I faithfully living by the ethics of his kingdom for his kingdom? Because we know that when he comes back, each one of us will be held accountable for what's in our own hearts. We can't pull a fast one on God. Just like that servant tried to flip it back. We have to give an account for what we've been given. Jesus has given to every one of us that says yes to him, his heart, his teachings, his prayers, his ethics, and now his Holy Spirit. 
just like the meanest, it is the same amount. But again, what are you going to do with what he's given you? Will you be like this, the first response? Or the second one? Will you use what you have to reach the lost? To tell your story so that others can experience the transformational power of God? Will you invest in those around you like Brayden and Ashley talked about a few weeks ago? Will you fan into flames the gifts that God so eagerly wants to bestow upon you if you just ask? Church, will you use those gifts to shake this upside-down world right-side up? Or will you be like this? Will you keep your salvation close by, undercover, in the darkness where no one else will see it and it remains fruitless? Will you take the things the Lord has given you and remain apathetic, settling for just enough? It's just enough that you hop online and watch a sermon every now and then. It's just enough that you're a good person. It's just enough that your kids are good people. It's just enough that Jesus loves me, this I know. And for those who simply reject him, church, the part of this parable that we miss and yet is so important is that, yes, the king is coming again. Amen. But the arrival of the kingdom of God does not mean happiness for all the people. Instead, judgment is coming for those who reject Jesus' offer of his kingdom. Those who have rejected living by the teachings of his kingdom, those who refuse to live by the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, those who hate him and what he brings, their destruction is coming. I'd like to invite the worship team. And so it is really going to matter. It's really going to matter at an individual level where you stand with the king. Where there was the thought that the Messiah would come and all of Israel would be vindicated and saved from those pagan oppressors. The surprise that Jesus is saying in this parable is that, no, there are good servants and there are wicked servants and there are people who hate me And there will be different responses to each one. Jesus is informing his listeners that individuals will be held accountable to a level that I'm not sure people were ready for. But here's the good news. Amen? Here's the good news. For those who accept his teaching and live by his power for his kingdom, praise God, they were given even And again, you see this played out after his death and resurrection as they wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Giving them the power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. To whom much is given. They were faithful with what he gave them and he just wants to give you more. Where are you at today? Who do you identify with? What are you going to do with your meaning, with the gift that God has given to you, small as it may be at first? 
What will the king say to you when he finally returns and asks for your report? If anyone is here or watching today or listening right now, and you've been the character of those that reject the king, those that have pushed him away and refused to acknowledge his authority, would you consider saying yes to him today? The beautiful thing about this moment is that as much as people rejected Christ 2,000 years ago, and as much as maybe you have rejected him or fallen short today in 2021, right now, right now, Jesus can save you. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save people who had fallen willfully short of the perfection of his kingdom. And he came for people who failed in following the ethics of his teachings. But the beautiful thing about Jesus that none of his disciples understood at the time is that they thought he would establish his kingdom by destroying and killing the Roman oppressors. But instead, he established his kingdom by choosing to die on a cross. Jesus offered his body as the true temple of God, and it was destroyed on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for rebellious covenant breakers like you and like me. But his body did not stay in the grave. By the power of God, he was raised on the third day, and all who trust in him and his sacrifice are giving new hearts and new lives. Praise God. And even if you've failed a thousand times up until this moment, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness found at the feet of Jesus and by the power of the cross and his resurrection, he is willing to empower you once again, giving you his teaching and his gifts, but also his power to live by and for his kingdom. When he comes back and he will see a good servant who has lived a life of worship and obedience for the king and for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, as always, church, we will have a prayer available up here at the altar. Um, I'll just say some amazing works have been happening up here. There's something powerful about taking that step to come up and lay yourself down. We'll also have people that are available to pray for you if you need some prayer. If you're online, please feel free to reach out for prayer. You can type in the chat that you would like some prayer and, and we can follow up on that with you. But as we sing this last song, I just, the words spoke out to me so much during worship, and it says, show me who you are. Fill me with your heart, and let me keep it inside. No, that's not what it says. Let me minister to myself. No, that's not what it says either. It's for me only. No, it says, fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Take what you've been given and make it grow. Jesus only wants to give you more church. He only wants to give you more. He's a good God who gives good gifts. Let's go ahead and stand and